Welcome back to Never Iron Anything, the comics review podcast. Uh, this week I'm joined for another Artist Roundtable episode with two fantastic comic creators. I'm proud to call friends and collaborators. Uh, let's hear some applause in the cheap seats and you lot up there in the balcony can shake and rattle your jewellery. It's Cliff Cumber and Ian Ashcroft. Hello, gents. <laughs> Hello, Tony. Up <laughs> there, a little bit of jewellery, jewellery. <laughs> well, who's that? Is that John Lennon? I forget who said that. Yeah, it's the Beatles. Yeah, well, wasn't it go. John Lennon doing an impression of Jimmy Savile? <laughs> Second Not time to be controversial. Second time Savile's come up on this podcast. There you go. Yeah. Oh dear. Yeah, last week he got mentioned. I'm not sure if Pete thought we were hijacking it and putting it to him, but yeah, it had to be had to be talked about. Um, and I'm sorry for mentioning the Beatles without being a Scouser, uh, Ian. It's all right. I'm from the Wirral, so I'm not allowed to call myself a Scouser. <laughs> Although you do you do support the Reds, don't you? Uh, yeah, I do, uh, okay. but I don't want to talk about it. Let's move on. <laughs> not going, I'd like to talk about well it. Can we talk about it? Let's talk about it. No, no, no. Didn't they just get crushed by Madrid or something? Yeah, they did. And you only know that because you saw that on the WhatsApp message. <laughs> <laughs> That's true. I know nothing else. That's the single fact yeah. I know. I think all we got from him was sorry. I haven't been. I haven't been chatty this evening. I feel a bit a depressed. Bit miserable. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Good. I was very depressed. I was. It was five two. It was horrible. Bloody hell! Yeah, we got battered, and they scored two goals first. No one cares about this. Let, let's just move on. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's not too good. I, I support Millwall, so I'm always brilliant, oh. brilliantly de- depressed. Um, yeah. Good. Um, so this week we're back to the artist roundtable, and we have chosen an artist um, who sadly passed away recently. Um, did you want to, mm. Cliff? Let's have you. Did you want to say who we're going to talk about? Yep, so um, one of the artists we decided to talk about was the uh, late, much-missed, but uh, legendary uh, Kevin O'Neill. Yeah. Just just a, well, we're going to talk about him and all of his qualities, but oh my God, what a what an artist, you know? Yeah, what a definitely. Guy. And a real loss. And he was only 69. You know, it's, it, yes. these days that's young, isn't it? You know. Way too young, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah definitely. Yeah. Um, Let's go to you, Ian, then. Let's do the, the, yeah. the, the first question we always ask. What was your first exposure to Kev O'Neill? Uh, Nemesis, which is something that I think Cliff's going to talk about. But um, yeah, the first thing I came across, um, I think I've talked about my cousin having his big uh, like stack of 2000 ADs that I'd go through. And um, when I started diving into comics, I, you know, it was Pat Mills' work that I came across really early on because okay. of Simon Bisley. Like when we talked about slaying the Horn God in previous episodes, and then yeah. you know, you, you obviously I really like Pat's writing, and, and Nemesis came along, along and I, I really love the artwork in Nemesis. I just think it's fantastic. And then to be honest, um, I'm going to talk about martial law, and that was after listening to the ACP and and Dan talking about it, and then I think okay. you had on talking about it and you know that's how i came across that yeah um, and that would be the main thing from kevin o'neill that nemesis and the, and then um martial law but yeah just loads of the covers there's the one talk amada where it's like the jaws all opening out from the famous cover of 2000 yeah. AD, like so iconic you know and just being aware of it and and actually when he passed away one of my friends um who's a, he's a tattooist down south in brighton he was 
he was sort of lamenting the loss and he was showing some of the examples of work that really got it. it Kevin O'Neill's his big artist. And when you look at the tattoos and stuff he does, you can really see that influence in his work. And yeah, I was thinking, you know, that he is such an incredible, just ideas machine. And then the way he's drawing all these different sort of characters is so unique. I, I just look at his work and I think, you know, he's the reason we don't need to worry about AI art at all. That's <laughs> a good point. Like, if there was ever an you know, example. Yeah, he's yeah like, you just like, you don't need to worry about it as long as there's artists out there who are coming up with original. I mean, he's learning. He's just giving everyone a completely new perspective on everything. And uh, Yeah, good just, point, man. Just talent. I mean, that is something we're going to talk about in a minute, is the, the artist and the art and, and how much speaks through it. But what about you, Cliff? Where did you first come across him, dude? So, um, yeah, my first visceral memory of Kevin O'Neill was uh, was Nemesis, just as it was with, um, you know, uh, with Tara. Oh, sorry, I mean Ian. Sorry, his name is Tara. <laughs> um, and, yeah, so it was definitely that groundbreaking work. I, uh, just a bit of context, collected 2000 AD from the very first prog when oh, I was I didn't know you were prog six runner. or seven years okay. old. Yep, yep. I remember getting the spinner disc or whatever it was off of the first one. Yeah. Uh, and, and what I realized when doing a little bit of research into this, um, uh, uh, you know, just to sort of get some more context, more background on him, because I knew him by his artwork more than I knew anything yeah. about the person, but was that he was um, uh, uh, very early on an art editor at IPC. No, not just art, but, you know, that sort of editing busybody yeah. in the um, in the editorial suite. Uh, and that he had worked early on on Wizard and Chips. Yeah, very briefly. And a I whole think, number of other, yeah. Yeah, other Buster and some other IPC stuff, you know. Um, Monster Fun, of, Valiant. Yeah, Monster a few Fun, Valiant. Um, while running those things around, you know. So um, my... I guess my exposure to him was even unawares because he was working on things that I was reading at the time as a kid. You know, Wizard and Chips was one of that was my weekly comic. He said he preferred Buster, Kevin O'Neill, um, which was a bit disappointing. Uh, and he didn't like Wizard and Chips, but I was always a Wizard and Chips kid. Um, so, you know, it was like, I, I guess at some point in there, I would have seen you know, his corrections or yeah, his lashes or stuff yeah. like that without even knowing it. And then uh, I found out that when he moved over to 2000 AD, you know, um, he, he tapped Pat Mills on the shoulder and asked him if he could do work for 2000 AD, that um, he did the Tharg head on, was it the very first issue? I think it was. He, he talks a bit about uh, It was people... under the spinner or something? Yeah, yeah, that's right. People bring it for him to sign, don't they? Just that yeah. little bit. They want it signed. Just that to... one and ask him yeah. to sign it. So even even you know even in the two thousand when I started collecting two thousand AD you know he was there somewhere in the background he's just been sort of this ubiquitous yeah yeah not influence but under undertow in in sort of my comics reading yeah it's interesting isn't it and you're right visceral is you know it's a much over you know occasionally overused term but it's, it's I can't think of anyone it applies to more you know no, especially no, when I, we, I, we were so young reading this stuff you know well I remember um, his nemesis art giving me nightmares yeah. You know, not understanding it when I first read it at that delicate age and just that, that I mean, nobody drew, nobody was an artist like he was. Nobody sort of was, his style was so uh, very different and so, um, you know, detailed, but also sort of so terrifying at the same time. You yeah, know? So, un um, so just unlike anything else unusual. we saw. Yeah. Yeah, completely unusual. Yeah. Um, I, I don't think I could probably name 
in the history of art anybody who's quite as recognizable as Kevin O'Neill. Yeah, it's a good you know, point, you man. just know it's him when you see it. So, but yeah, I remember back then. You know, it's like reading Nemesis, and uh, prior to that, you know, some of the the robuster stuff, and um, just that, just his style gave me. I can understand why there were later <laughs> objections to it because yeah. just the quality of his line and figures and that nightmarish stuff. Just we're yeah. gonna anyway. We're definitely gonna get onto that objection mm. that comes later in America because I have a yes. sort of a, a theory. Um, the uh, my my first exposure. I'm thinking you're right though. It could have been some of the the humor comics, or I didn't you know recognize him, and which is interesting in itself when you think that he was one of the reasons that we finally got credits in British comics. You know, it was down to yeah. him introducing them. But the um, I think I'm not a prog oneer, but I'm an annual oneer, as I like to call it. Mm. Um, so I got the '78 annual, which has got um, a sort of a short story with a sort of dinosaur monster thing in it. Um, and I remember seeing that and I can remember vividly sitting in the car, reading it on my lap and thinking, what the fuck? Yeah. 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 So yeah. strange. It just had that. It was the immediate impact that it had as you looked at it, you know, just, oh, it totally. was something about the artwork that just hits you like a hammer almost. Yeah. Kind of the, the profound sort of influence that it has on you. Yeah. Now I think let's talk a little bit about his, his influences. Um, which are almost took me a while to understand, you know, because to me, having grown up with a comic artist and a style so vividly, it, it's hard to then work your way back from it almost, you know, because it's so entrenched in my memory. But there's, he talks about um, Greg Iron's Skull Comics from Ripoff Press um, being a big influence um, yeah. and Richard Corbin. And mm. I don't know what you guys think about it, but I have this theory that if he was born in San Francisco, he would be, one of the world's biggest underground comics artists and be, you know, crumbs size, notorious, infamous, famous, whatever you want to call it, you know. Um, yeah, his work really feels like outlaw comics, doesn't yeah. it? It's got like that heavy rendering style in some panels. It's got like, I don't want to get into it too much because a lot of it's what I'm going to say when we're talking about the comics themselves, but there's definitely links to what you're talking about there yeah you can, you can see it it's, it doesn't quite fit with the mainstream i suppose in a lot it of doesn't ways, does but... it but it's it's a weird one because i kind of see that because he was mainstream yeah. but you're right it didn't fit but the i almost feel like you can you have to combine combine those outlaw ripoff press kind of comics which were a massive influence on him with stuff like ken reed and leo baxendale um yeah. You know, the, right. that almost grotesquery humour that we saw in Monster Fun and Wizard and Chips and all this sort of thing, you know. Yeah. Face he, he and... is he is on record um with Nemesis the Warlock as saying that he what he wanted to do was he he wanted to insert some of that underground into that. Yeah. Right. As it was mainstream. So definitely you know, I mean, as we talk, as we'll probably get into his, you know, how, how it all came to be, but, and the time period, but that, that was, you know, that subversive and transgressive nature of his artwork was definitely something that yeah. he was, uh, the vibe, he called it the vibe, at least that's what he tried to make it, you know? Yeah. I mean, he tried to get, they tried to get Leo Baxendale over at 2000 AD to do stuff, didn't they, at one point in the early days when him and Pat. Um, yeah, I think yeah. Jan Shepard at the time probably and as well were working on the early stuck, days. Of it. He was he was stuck at um, 
was it action or something like that? I, I can't remember where it was. Yeah, he, he they couldn't come over. Cause yeah, they they couldn't get him contractually over. Contractually obligated. Yeah, yeah. It's 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 interesting. I know, and um, we'll get to it in a minute. But he certainly he his in his opinion he didn't arrive artistically until he did his nemesis work. Is what he's saying, um, which is interesting as well. Um, I definitely agree with that. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, because he'd done some robusters. I'm going to say by that point yeah. as well. Um, mm -hmm. Couple of other couple of other things from his early days. So he was born in 1953 in Mottingham, um, in a working class Catholic up, upbringing. Um, he describes comics and TV as occupying him at the time, and he dis he describes it as um, his bat flying through the window moment, as when he watched his dad draw on a cigarette packet, yeah. <laughs> which is really cool. Um, the only thing he could draw, right? <laughs> Very good. Was it his dad or his older brother? Oh, I've got might a feeling it was it his older brother. Ah, uh, okay. Yeah, um, he loved um, Ma Marvel Man at the time um yeah. which obviously hadn't come back at that point um and he also now you can I, when i read this i think of fucking of course but he was a big fan of mad magazine as well which is cool yeah and he said that was because he was quite a sort of stern catholic upbringing which we'll get onto in a minute the um it was if they if someone was caught with mad magazine at school it was confiscated by the uh, the teachers and uh, i have definite memories of that sort of thing happening to me um so three Harvey Awards, two Eisners, an Eagle Award, and a Bram Stoker Award. Like, incredible career. For somebody, um, I don't know what you guys think, for somebody who didn't have a massive back catalogue of work like some American creators and seemed very loyal to probably two writers, I'm going to say Pat and Alan Moore. Um, and he, didn't fl he did work with other people, but not extensively, if you see what I mean. <laughs> Sorry, and go ahead, man. <clears throat> I was just going to say, he did do a lot of pages for those two writers, though, didn't he? I mean, yeah. Going into hundreds of pages for each one. But yeah. You write not as not as many different books as, as you'd expect someone with that those sort of accolades that you, you just yeah. listed. And he, he clearly enjoyed got... working with them both. I mean, he's, sorry, to interrupt, yeah. Jeff, he, he was saying, like, there's an old interview, like a 1980s TV interview with Patton, Kev, with Kev drawing, like on these sort of pop shows, you know. And um, they said, how do you know the story's working? I think Kev says, because me, me and Pat spend hours on the phone just laughing at stupid story <laughs> ideas. Mm. Mm. And and it's very similar to, the, from what I understand, the relationship he had with Alan Moore, where they would just like ring each other up and have a laugh, you know. Yeah, yeah I, I think that's accurate. I think, um, you know, I think a part of that was he had the opportunity to choose, you know? Yeah. Um, I think, <laughs> uh, y you know, and and who, who you know, uh, after Pat Mills having Alan Moore is sort of, well, then you've sort of hit the... <laughs> yeah, you got the two big ones, right? really. I mean, <laughs> you know, where'd you go from yeah, there? Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. I, I just, it was just, I don't know that he was necessarily motivated to work with other people or maybe, I don't know, maybe, I don't know what that would have been an interesting question is how much were, did other people solicit, uh, you know, Kevin O'Neill? Yeah, come did to him happen? and say, I've got a great idea, yeah. Kev. I mean, mm. I've, met, I've met Kev a few times um, and it, as all of us are, you know, um, he's a man of many facets and um, sometimes he was sort of, sort of hilarious and sometimes he was quite frosty mm. um mm. which is uh certainly a vibe that i like to give out occasionally you know <laughs> as it stops people sending me their stupid comics to review you know <laughs> uh, maybe that's part of it i don't know but um so what we've done is we've um 
we've spent some time looking at some different areas of his work um and we're going to try and take it chronologically as much as, much as we can um so did you want to say what you're going to talk about cliff we're going to start with you i think yeah, absolutely. So um, the we, uh, you very kindly gave us a choice of things to sort of uh, throughout his career to uh, focus on, and I uh, one of the most profound and influential parts of his career for me was definitely Nemesis the Warlock. Yeah. Um, you know, which uh, from the very origins of it as just a six-page chase scene that was created to piss off the IPC censors to you know <laughs> yeah off the back um, of a, um, um, a a jam song going underground, wasn't it? Yeah. yeah, so there was this uh, comic rock uh, idea that they had, which was uh, supposed to be stories that were influenced by different songs, uh, yeah. and that didn't take off. But it did. Um, what happened was it did give rise to the very first Torquemada short, which was just a an extended chase scene between Nemesis and Torquemada through the tubes of the uh, you know uh of of i can't even was it termite yeah yeah but later so the terror tube. Termite yeah yeah it's, seen as terror the, tube. it's kind of seen as the prologue isn't it in a way i think yeah and uh yeah that that's my understanding is that that, that it, it, it that he they did this short basically so you know we're back in what 70 it's episode 167 uh it's been going for a while kevin's yeah. sort of looking for something uh and he approaches pat about being in it so he ends up doing this six page short that pat has written um based on the jam song going underground now you know as they later acknowledged there's really very little sort of parity between the two the jam songs go other than yeah. they go underground into the tubes and there's a jam of traffic uh, it's very yeah. literal, but it, it it gave you know. So uh, it was in reaction to this. Uh, you know, there was a censor at IPC, a man named Bob Bartholomew, who had objected to a chase scene in Robusters uh, oh, that they okay. had conceived, um, and uh, had, had and it, it was Pat and Kevin. Uh, you know being reactionary and of course you know being young and pushing back against authority which was kind of the oeuvre of the period right with yeah. punk and everything else and yeah. um you know and and so these young turks within the office pushing back against um too much sense censorship so pat conceives this idea of doing a chase scene which ended up being um the very first appearance of nemesis and uh, torquemada and it just turned out to be um, hugely popular with the readers. Yeah. So they uh, followed on by launching the Nemesis, the Warlock series, which um, it's it's kind of interesting because we're talking about, you know, the number of pages that uh, Kev O'Neill did for Pat. And um, he really wasn't on Nemesis, the Warlock for a very long time. Uh, he he came and he... went a little bit, didn't he? And then he, in the last issue, yeah. he came back, didn't he? And did a story. Yeah, it, it, yeah. So, so exactly. But and and you need to understand, like there was the thousand progs. It was you know b between 1977 and the final story. Uh, what was it, Torquemada the God or something yeah. like that? Be being the very final story in the telling, uh, there was you know it was 77 to the year 2000, which was when the very final prog came out. Yeah. Um, and uh, you know, uh, it, it, Kev left um because he just he was having financial difficulties yeah and he wasn't getting know, paid working much. for ipc yeah and Couldn't i think get he paid. got i think uh, he said the sort of sheen of fun had left a bit he said by that point you know 
Yeah. So, so interesting you would say that. Um, so much later on in about, I looked at an interview in about uh, 2015 and there okay. was a, uh, a quote that he gave. Um, sorry, I just have to go back through my long page of notes here to try and find it, where he was talking about working on uh, Nemesis. Um, and uh, he said this several times uh, that it was like it, it, it's the thing i'll always be happiest about the thing that gave me the most pleasure this is a quote here and the most laughs is nemesis the warlock when we walked on that worked on that i think it was the happiest period even though management didn't like it it was a deeply unpopular strip within the walls of ipc but it had a big reader following so you know of course they great? were like okay we'll we'll go along with it just as long as it stays popular you know they hated it but clearly you know, uh, as long as it was making money, that's what he said, they'll go along with it. And even if they don't either understand it or particularly liked it. So um, he said, I love working on that. In the early days, I was on staff and just the pleasure of putting the comic together. So, you know, so you can sort of tell looking at his early work. Yeah. On Nemesis. I know you mentioned this earlier, and I kind of, we, we, we found a section of work where they talked, he talked about how he, he works with Pat. I think I sent it to both of you, didn't I? And you mm. saw it, didn't you? I think. Yeah. 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 And and how they it, Pat rings him up with an idea. They talk for hours, and then Pat goes away and writes it. Um, and then yeah, there's Kevin a, said that the point that they knew that they had something was when they started laughing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I, I also I can, might explain why he didn't have so many writers that he worked with. Maybe Tony, because that's a good point. Yeah, he seemed to have to have that like almost like like co-creative sort of spirit to everything that he did. It, that everything seems to be as much his as, as the writers, doesn't it? Yeah. You know, he's not yeah. just along for the ride. He, he's heavily involved in creating the characters, creating the sort of world that's going to be built by Pat. And I think mm. having a laugh is is got to be a big part of it. And I, I know you you sort of you said in our chat, Cliff. That's how you and I work together. And yeah, yeah. The stories we come up with, we just we just did because they made us laugh during a number of conversations. <laughs> right, right. right. <laughs> yeah. yeah, the best stuff that we ended up uh, we've ended up doing, I think, we just found hilarious, and yeah. I, I got the sense that that's something Pat and Kevin shared because yeah. he said, you know, as soon as they started going back and forth, they knew they had something. You know, they were laughing about either, you know, bits and pieces, and it's interesting because. Um, he he was talking a little bit about how um, censorship became even more even more of a crackdown over their period at 2000 AD. So you know he does say the joy slightly ebbed out of it as he was doing yeah. that production. So you, you know it's it's clear that he was motivated by really enjoying <laughs> the work that he was doing. And if he didn't yeah. enjoy it, I think he kind of probably wouldn't have done it and um you know i think he was really enjoying the work that he would do with kev o'neill and alan moore you know yeah. because he stuck with i mean he stuck with league of extraordinary gentlemen for a really long time Man, lots of pages came yeah. out of that right uh, yeah. and uh, i think if the money had been there um he would have stuck with uh you know nemesis the warlock for equally as long well i think it's worth mentioning here that you know he was writing serial killer the novels with pat even after hmm. league had finished um, right so they right and they creative. had a lifelong working relationship you know yeah and he seemed to keep that with both of them you know which i've kind of hmm. got a lot of time for him for and i know I, I may i alluded to him being a bit frosty which you know admittedly he could be sometimes but watching interviews and hearing him talk enthusiastically there's almost like a boyish enthusiasm 
in him. Yes. And yes. whenever he's doing an interview, no matter who with, he's laughing at his own memories of stuff, which I think is lovely. Mm. You know. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, he's he was definitely motivated, I think, a lot um, in, in in Nemesis: The Warlock by uh, and within the offices of IBC by this friction of sort of trying to do something almost renegade, you know? Yeah, which it was, um, which was seen, and Pat, Pat's the you know if there's ever any right. two people to be in cahoots with who are renegades, it's Pat and Allen, isn't it? Yeah, right, exactly. And in this case, you know, striking back uh, against their Catholic heritage and their yeah. experiences, and um, yeah. also you know, but but doing so in a way that sort of you know ridiculed, you know, satire almost um, of those uh, those infrastructures and and institutions, you know. Um, yeah. So I think he's really motivated by knowing that his art is doing something. I think, you know, he, he did zines as well back in the early days. He did some Harry Harryhausen thing. He ended up going around his house or something, didn't he? Well, he wanted it's, to get into animation, that's um, right. is, yeah. is what he said. And there were two animators. There was only one animator in the UK. I forget the name of it. It was a double-barreled name. It was a guy and his wife, and he called them up and said, um, you know, I, I, I'd like to get into animation. The guy said, well, do you have any experience? He said, no, where can I get experience? And the guy said, here. <laughs> That's <laughs> right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> and then um, <clears throat> because he was interested in zines and things like that and horror uh, and, and animation, he called up Harryhausen and, uh, yeah, like you said, went to his house and then – apparently had a relation uh like they they had a friendship sort of engaged a with yeah, each yeah. other friendship for a little while so yeah he, he said he was quite he's quite shy and introverted which i can really see but that he knew that he needed to push himself yeah. out of the boundaries of his own comfort zone to be able to sort of make something of his life yeah it's interesting man make some progress which was a very interesting kind of thing but I mean, I've, yeah I've, i think uh, i've spoken about my sorry. relationship sorry man i've spoken about my relationship with nemesis you know, a number of times on the ATP, but mm. I'm, I'm, we're obviously all friends with Pat, you know, and, and honoured to be, and, you know, he's, he's he's a good friend of our, all of mm. us. But I, I actually became friends with Pat because of Nemesis in a weird sort of way. Mm. So I'd met Pat a number of times over the years. He very kindly says he remembers, but I don't think so. <laughs> you know, I met him at conventions <laughs> and stuff. Um, right. And um, I was reading, he had like an online autobiography thing going on, and I, I wrote him and said, I didn't realise that Torquemada in Nemesis, who's the the human, you know, mm. aka the villain. Um, I didn't realise he was based on um, a guy called Brother Solomon, who was mm. a te- Pat and I went to the same school, which I then found out, um, and was a teacher of both Pat and a housemaster of mine as a boarder. Mm. And the bloke was mm-hmm. a fucking animal. The bloke was uh, fucking trash. And um, I sent Pat this, and I said, "Oh, yeah, it's, you know, it's interesting." And he said, "Well, why don't we meet for a coffee?" So we met up, and we've been friends since. Um, mm-hmm. which is about 15 years ago. Yeah, and it's, it, it's, he's such a, a, a lovely guy. And his friendship with, um, I don't think he'll mind me saying this, but his friendship with Kev was was genuinely really touching. And mm-hmm. um, Kev went, Pat lives in Spain, Kev went out to see Pat in Spain and um, just before I'd been out, I think. And um, and Ke- Pat said to me, oh, do you, we, we thought we might go to this, like, you know, new age cafe. And I said, oh, I'm up for going there. That's fine. And he says, we're, we took Kev there, but he didn't really like it. <laughs> so I said, okay, I'll give it a go. Well, you can see it's all like wheatgrass drinks and stuff like that, you know. And, yeah. and I think Kev said something, I hope it, Pat doesn't mind me repeating this, something like, I just want a cup of tea, Pat. You know, like that. <laughs> which I think is lovely and also sums up kind of how I see him, you know, the boy from yeah, he- the boy from Mottingham. 
You know, he strikes me as sort of what you know. He 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 grew up in a working class family, and his what was it? His father was a was a cabinet maker or something like that. I think I you're remember, right. But, I think you're right. Yeah, um, a working class family, clearly in a Catholic community. What did he say? It was just outside Chislehurst. Or yeah, it's Mo- like Mottingham, which yeah, is kind of Nottingham. Bromley, Chislehurst, Catford, right. that kind of area. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. So you know, I get the sense that he didn't. He also didn't have the same kind of experiences at school that I think maybe you and Pat had. Um, yeah. He, he's he, although he said he knew it was all kind of ridiculous when he was doing it, he didn't endure any kind of significant abuse that at least that he wanted to talk about. So. Yeah. I think we all got it. I mean, he talks about being whacked a lot, which we all got, you know. Yeah, um, yeah. The Mad Magazine thing. And yeah. And uh, getting, you know, six of the best for that. Yeah, so it's 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 interesting sort of where those backgrounds uh, divert uh, divert a little bit. You know? Yeah. So, Nemesis is uh, such, such an interesting case study that mm-hmm. there's only that sliver of comic fans get, I think. Um Yes, the um, eleven o'clock comics was just on their forum today, and they, and they I haven't listened to the episode properly yet. I've only just started it. They talk about their favorite anthologies on mm. today's episode, and I was thinking two thousand AD. Yeah, but it it's never properly transferred to America or anywhere else, is it really? Um, the anthology style of comics in america is not one that's well known i mean all the comics were anthologies back when they started but they very quickly around the 50s and 60s just became like single stories but all of you our know? comics so, were, anth- were anthologies you know over here. that's right everything yeah. in the uk was an anthology um pretty much you know um so the, you know where history divided there uh, in the U- u.s was um i d- just think those sort of short stories is something that uh, you know just never caught on here yeah um yeah, so, I was, yeah. It's, we were chatting to Des because Des got the license to sell. Whether he got the license or not, I don't know. It's Des, but Des, <laughs> Des ended up selling two thousand eighty stories in comic book form in America um, mm. uh, through Eagle Comics, I think they were called. And, uh, um, yes, not if, very good. Yeah, yeah, there's a couple of the collections. Um, the color collection of Nemesis, uh, the yeah. hardback, has got a lot of the covers in the back for that, and there's some actually really nice um, covers and. Um, I had one as my Instagram image, you know, and Des mm-hmm. said, oh, that comes off one of our comics. He's like this. He loved it. You know what I mean? <laughs> yeah. It's, yeah. Uh, yeah. Uh, I always remember the, uh, you know, getting episodes of Judge Dredd and they were being colour, but because of the difference between the A4 sizing and the comic size over here, they Completely would... fucked it, didn't it? Yeah. They fucked it. They just, basically all they did was they would sort of, they squished it in. You yeah. know, so it was all off. You know, you'd have a super thin Judge Dread with the kind of his eyes would be off and stuff. You know, be... yeah. <laughs> good. Right. Yeah. Thanks for that. That was a good one. So we're going to continue the chat, but I think I'm just going to I'm going to be the shit sandwich between the beautiful pieces of bread that are you two, and talk oh, a, just for a second. <laughs> talk about um, Tales of the Green Lantern Core Annual, which is the two issue story that got um, Kevin O'Neill banned by the Comic Code Authority. Um, called Tigers. It's written by Alan Moore, art by Kev O'Neill, letters John Costanza, um, colours Anthony Tollin, editors Len Wein and Andy Helfer. There's a couple of fucking names for you. Um, mm. So this is a really interesting. I know both of you have seen it. Um, have have either have you read these stories, guys? I haven't. No, I I read them back when they first came out. Yeah, okay. and I remember picking them up because I was a fan of Kevin O'Neill from. You know the Nexus Warlock stuff. Yeah, yeah so I yeah. think I, I may have gotten them from Forbidden Planet. 
So I read them when they came out, and I remember, I don't know what it was, being a little disappointed to see the work in colour, I think. Okay, interesting. Then. Yeah. Because yeah. Um, what, actually, what happened with it is, it's the story of Abin Sir, who um, was the Green Lantern, for all you Green Lantern nerds out there, was the Green Lantern originally, who hands his, um, his ring over, you know, in the Silver Age story. Um, now, he's on a planet, um, he, he visits a planet called Ismult, a.k.a. the Empire of Tears. So already I'm thinking, come on, Alan. Do you know what I mean? Um, mm -hmm. And it's a forbidden territory. Um, it's designated forbidden by the, the Guardians of Oa. Um, and there's a fucking sea of strange-looking creatures. Now, this originally... and We'll talk about why I think it got banned in a minute, but what happened was it got submitted as a backup strip in the in the Green Lantern comic, which was on the rise at the time because Dave Gibbons had done quite a lot of issues, I think, at that point. Um, and it got banned. So it went submitted to the Comics Code Authority and they said, no, you can't print that. And I think Len Wein or Andy Helfer said, well, well why? And um, they said, we haven't got a specific reason. We just object to the whole style of it, um, <laughs> which is fucking genius. So I think, as he tells it, O'Neill was in America, and he spoke to one um, one of the editors. I can't remember who it was now. And he said, "Have you got a copy of the Comics Code?" And he managed That's to get right. his hands yes. yeah. on a, a, to DC. Yeah, yeah. Mm -hmm. he managed to get his hands on a copy of the Comics Code, um, and he also managed to get a phone number. Um, mm. And he thought, oh, "I'm going to fucking ring him up." So he, he rang him up and said, "Oh, the way he tells it, he says, oh, um, can I come over and have a chat?'" You know. Mm. And that, they just screamed, there's nothing to see here, and slammed the phone down on him. Obviously right. panicking that this Englishman, they were well aware they just banned, um, is trying to come over and give him a kick in, probably. He probably just wanted to see him. <laughs> According to him, he said, I just wanted to see the rubber stamps. I, yeah, yeah. I have a feeling if if he went there and there was a few rubber stamps that say banned or cancelled or something, he'd have a couple of them in his pocket. I certainly would have nicked a couple of them. Oh, I, absolutely. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Didn't he say he, he he had a feeling it was just a bunch of old ladies or something in an <laughs> yeah, office somewhere? Yeah. Yeah. Now, a couple of years later, or less than a year, I think, actually, it came out in the Tales of Green Lantern annual, um, which didn't have the Comics Code Authority stamp on. Now, this is credited as being the story that may have started the rot that caused the end of the Comics Code Authority, because obviously they don't, they're not an existing force at, at the moment. Um, there's there's a couple God. of reasons. Sorry, oh. Megan. Thank God. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, yuck. <clears throat> yeah. Now, anyway. <laughs> allegedly, when he got banned, he also rang, ran up Alan Moore and said, um, Alan, I've got to tell you, you know, the story's not coming out because the Comics Code Authority have just banned my style. And apparently Alan Moore said, oh, Kev, I'm so jealous. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Which is fucking brilliant. Did he say he didn't talk to him for like a year after that because of that? Oh, right. Okay. Yeah, yeah. yeah he said he, he was so jealous that he just, they didn't talk for a year. <laughs> <laughs> now, I'm... Look, it's, that's clearly a bad decision. You know, obviously a bad decision. However, they did crucify a creature that looked like a toothy vagina in that comic. Yeah. I've seen that. <laughs> if you see a vagina there, that's uh, really disturbing. <laughs> no, it does look a bit vagina-like, especially the fact that he's got a head that looks like a tongue. Yeah, yeah. And um, <laughs> and also it's been crucified. So I kind of think they were fucking taking the piss with that. You know? Yeah. I mean, it came out eventually. It came out, very, you know, not long afterwards. So brilliant, but... 
you know. And I think Alan's kind of got... I mean, Green Lantern, you can probably do what you like with. It was Alan Moore. You know, the hot new thing from England, Kevin O'Neill working on it. And um, But in it, at the end, it actually predicts the end of the Green Lantern core in it, um, mm. which is quite a bold move for them both. Um, and, you know, you've got this outrageous style coupled with this sort of basically Alan Moore saying this is when the Green Lantern Corps are going to end you know and kind of mm. what Alan Moore says kind of gets laid down in law these days doesn't it you know certainly what mm-hmm. has been for decades and um, and then you crucify a vagina in the same issue <laughs> <laughs> and it's like it's not just like a crucifixion crucifixion it's like pins right it's yeah like, with a Green Lantern pin yeah Green Lantern pin right in the middle yeah, it's almost like Alan was saying, "Who the fuck do these people think they are?" Yeah, it's it's space you imagine, cops. You know, you could imagine them just howling over the idea of of creating like a crucified vagina creature, <laughs> and and being like, "Okay, you know, fuck it, let's let's take a shot at the Comics Code Authority and see what we can get." Like, because. You know, things like Vertigo and stuff like that were happening at the time, and I know Alan Moore was the new hotness, and um, yeah. you know, but but if if I recall correctly from the time, the Comics Code Authority was something that, as people started more and more getting into buying comics because they had turned in this slightly darker direction, yeah, um, the Comics Code Authority was losing its influence and power. Yeah, you, so, you, you know, look at Stan famously turned his back on them, didn't he, for the Spider-Man drugs right. issue and stuff like that. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. And and, and I can imagine after, you know, th- th- this was coming in when DC was in a much more successful place than it was, uh, you know, actually purposely being like, okay, you know, let's let's sh- fire shots fired, you know, yeah. with this. So, and he, let's face it, Alan was, pushing, Alan was pushing some stuff in Swamp Thing as well, wasn't he? He he yeah. was. I, I think he really objected to the limitations being put on comics by things like the Comics Code Authority, which was just a sort of an an, an anachronistic yeah. organ uh, infrastructure of the 50s that, you know, nobody else had to put their artistic work through, you know, uh, this censorship. And we had stuff like Warrior going on in the UK, and mm-hmm. well, that's, that's, there was a, there was certainly a revolution going on, you know. The, yeah, like yeah. we've we've talked about before, the eighties were the the single best time for comics. Exactly, yeah. and not to mention though that you know Alan Moore and Kevin and Pat were all of a time when people were really pushing back against. Yeah, authority. You know the the age of punk and everything else. Yeah, oh, I think that's the, the first line. The Jonathan Ross wrote in the Accident Man introduction, wasn't it? It's I think it says right. Pat Mills right. is a punk. Yeah. Yes, exactly. Slain was know, a these punk. Guys Slain, were... Slain's a punk barbarian, isn't he? We talked about yeah. this before, didn't yeah. we? And you know. Yeah, yeah, and yeah, and Jonathan Ross is in the front of this um, edition of Martial Law. I've got saying the same sort of thing as well. Right. Oh, brilliant. Okay. Yeah. Well, let's move on to that. It's a good time. So the third one is the martial law stories, um, yeah. which you got. Did you get the hardback or how did you get it? Yeah. I've just got it digitally okay. and um, uh, and a couple of um, single co- comics. In fact, Matt Bunce, um off the Slack, he sent oh, me yeah. he sent me Kingdom of the Blind, which was very kind of him. So I just wanted to mention that. But um, Matt's good. Matt Matt rang me or messaged me the other day saying, "I'm in a, I'm in a 
Well, see, I'm in an Ox fam, and they've got some Kill Raven comics. Have you got these ones? How cool is that one? <laughs> yeah, what a That's nice thing. Yeah, he just he said the same. He found it in like he, he was just in a charity shop, and he put it up on the Slack. And I said, "Oh, can I have it?" And he, he sent it to me. It was just really kind. So thank you to Matt. Good stuff. Um, yeah, so I'm doing another one where it's like Kevin O'Neill and Pat Mills again. Just going back to Nemesis briefly, I, I yeah. found it really interesting that that Nemesis design is so bizarre, isn't it? And <laughs> yeah. um, I I read that um, he designed the Blitzphere first, you know, yeah. the ship that he flies about in, and it was Pat who said, make Nemesis' head look like yeah, that. Yeah, that's right. I think he designed Nemesis differently, hadn't he? And yeah. um and and Pat said and he says I'm having a problem with this I don't really know whether I like it or not and Pat said well why don't you make the head like the split spear and it suddenly clicked and he says he can almost mm. automatically draw Nemesis's head now and as yeah. someone Cliff's just drawn him I can't imagine he's an easy fucking person to draw at all is he? He's, no, he's, <laughs> he's not easy. Uh, I know well, you've drawn uh, him as well, Ian, haven't you? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I did. Yeah, I, I. It's so difficult because you've got that sort of nose where it's got four like fins coming off yeah and almost like a cross sort of um situation mm. and it's so difficult yeah. to get it right depending on which angle you're doing it and that's that's <laughs> one of the things in nemesis that i just can't get my head around draw, drawing that character and understanding it from so many different directions it's just you got, got and you've got some character. really different takes on the hinkleton stuff and you know it, oh, yeah 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 the uh, and the funny that's the, you've brought back back a, a sort of a childish memory of mine by saying that in saying yeah. it's like a cross and as a kid i think i thought it was like a was. religious icon type face in a weird way well, maybe maybe it is you yeah. know you won't yeah. put it past them and then there's other characters in it like great uncle ball i love that that's the best that story panel. yeah that Where was a out on the human skeleton and that the chair starts talking to him and stuff like that. Just, <laughs> so o- O'Neill says that was his his favorite strip that he did yeah. for Nemesis. That that was his favorite one. But apparently it didn't, you know, because he was also talking about the readers' votes and things like that yeah. that they used to do, but it was not the mm-hmm. most popular amongst the readers. But yeah, I agree with you that the design on that, just that that was half of that stuff was just that's what was so amazing, you know? Yeah. Yeah. And and like little bits and you know those aliens that are sort of half people half plant where they've got like twigs <laughs> yeah. growing out of them and he's so brutal to them as well. It just but yeah, it's yeah. so great, isn't it? He, I think um, he, I genuinely think he's probably 2080's greatest designer. I mean, you know, Carlos did yeah, dread, sure. but I think you've got the ABC Warriors, you've got you know Nemesis, and you've got so many things that are just fucking. I, uh, ABC Warriors is probably my second favorite. Strip we don't. Uh, I don't think, as a nation, we appreciate what we had in all those artists that come through because they were all the best at what Agreed. they did. Yeah, agree. Brian so just, Bollard, uh, Brian Bollard is the best. That he, uh, yeah, Bisley, you know, best yeah. painted comics. You know, it just goes on, and and then you've got Kevin O'Neill, and how do you describe his work? And it, that I kept on asking myself, how yeah. do I go about describing it and describing martial law because. I know you and Dan have talked about this on another NIA yeah. episode, and Dan talked about the story in length. So, yeah. just revisiting it really for the artwork mainly. And I just kept on thinking there's so many sort of contrasts in his work. He's got, um, let me see what I've sort of said. And I, I've just said, I found, I said it in my notes, I found it to be almost like Outlaw Comics, incredibly elaborate layouts, intricate mm. details. 
Yeah. There's a bit of an intended naivety to some of the drawings. Some of the proportions okay. seem a little bit wonky, but I feel like that's because he's leaning into his own style of drawing. He's an incredible artist. And um, there's a lot of instinctual I, strokes that seemingly fit into a sort of spiky architecture sometimes. It all seems so to come much together. Rhythm. Yeah. repeated shapes across all the panels and stuff like that. I, I sort of said, like, one of the things is you just described him as the best designer. I completely agree with that. The costume designs are just crazy. Yeah. Like, how many different characters did he create in this book? And, you know, it's, it's on a par with, you know, some of the greats, the amount of different ideas um, that have come out with it as well. And there's organic shapes and geometrical shapes and I've written down as well, like it's very visceral, which is a word that Cliff used at the start. And I was also listening to interviews by Kevin. He was talking about symmetry and saying how it makes him feel sick. And I thought that was so <laughs> genius. <laughs> so he was talking about, I don't like sitting in all these Italian plazas and they make me feel sick because they're all so perfectly geometrical and perfectly <laughs> symmetrical and beautiful. And it's like, I just feel a bit ill. Oh, I've got a beautiful image of him sitting there, you know, with a coffee waiting for someone to yeah, arrive just... and just looking up up at the, oh, fuck's sake, well, he's getting grumpy looking at the ceiling. That's the yeah. actual epitome <laughs> of like human beauty that we've been yeah. able to create and he's just making him feel sicker and sicker and i thought that is so odd because we're all sort of pre-programmed it's completely at odds in yeah. like our natural sensibilities to loathe symmetry you know models have their faces photoshopped so they look like a perfect reflection from one side to the other but he's coming at the world in a completely different way and Maybe he's, that's the truth. Yeah, turning everything on its head. What we yeah. all accept as being beautiful. He, he's like, he's obviously seeing everything. Well, maybe he's, a, he's the only sane person. You know, there's, there's that famous story yeah, about the, there's that famous story about the 1984 TV series, isn't there? Um, with Big Brother watching them, you know. And it was, I think it's Peter Cushing, wasn't it? It's sort of late 50s, early 60s TV series, I'm going to say. And to make the image of Big Brother more frightening, they basically photographed a face and then just took one side and flipped it flipped it yeah yeah and that was the authoritarian so, look to it you know yeah and one of the greatest asymmetrical characters in comics is judge Dredd. i know that's a different yeah. one but there's there's yeah. a bit of asymmetry to um martial law you know where he's got the barbed wire down one arm and the other one sort of clothed yeah in leather um but that i mean that character design is just it's crazy, isn't it? I mean, the the mask on it almost becomes like face paint at some times because it's the almost expressionistic. Like, yeah, but yeah, it's not like a traditional mask at all, and it's got like fascist elements and like bondage or fetish <laughs> elements of all the lead and the red lightning bolts going across it. It's really a crazy design, and then he just goes one up all the time from that point on. I think um, with the costume as well, he uses you know he could have easily just done a black costume. But he yeah. uses traditional superhero colours. Blue, blue, yeah, yeah. Well, primary colours are he, which we associate with people like Superman. Yeah, he's got yeah. that on the public spirit, and that's just a primary colour character. Celeste is pretty much primary colours as well. Yeah, and then you've got the sort of black and red for martial law, which would be usually your baddie, wouldn't it? So that yeah. that's it being reversed round again. 
It's so interesting when I, you see you see in the, the days of people will be going, oh, that's just like the boys. This predates the boys. Yeah, yeah. That, that character yeah. whose name I can't remember in the boys, you know, the big bad guy. Um, yeah, he's he's basic. Sorry, Homelander. Thank you. Yeah, he's basically the public spirit, isn't he? He yeah. is. It's a complete ripoff. And then like with Mark, you know. With martial law as well, he's got he has literally got an inverted cross running down the middle of his <laughs> That's face. That's true. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I mean, like it couldn't be more obvious, could it? And then in the version I've got, it's like um, you can see up, but there's a real mix of like brushwork and then fine liner work. So there's lots and lots of fine lines everywhere. Um, and I was impressed with the color work in this. I agreed that the Nemesis book is much better black and white, but the color, yeah. On yeah. Nemesis, I think really, really works, and in martial uses law, you mean. like yeah, 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 um, yeah. Sorry, in martial law, it really stands out as as, as a big part of the artwork for me. Um, so, interestingly enough, I, I you can see where he changed his style a little bit um, okay. in between Nemesis to martial law to Greenland to martial law. So he was very aware of the sizes. I think he was working in and kind of the the amount of detail that he needed to add. So I don't know if you see that um, yeah, at all, you. Ian. But, yeah. but um, yeah. he, he, he's one of those guys. One of the most difficult things you can do is free up space so that, you know, to think ahead to the future for colors and things like that, you know, so leaving white space. But he, he, he did that, I felt like, or at least he evolved along the martial law telling. Well, funny, uh, funny enough, this is the first time ever I've sort of had both books in front of me and i think there's a there is quite a big difference between the work you see in nemesis and the work you see in martial law there's more panels and, um, isn't it? it's more panel structure yeah 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 and i think like it, i don't know i think he uses like repeated imagery a lot in martial law there's that sequence across the double page where it's just like martial law is sort of almost exactly the same um six panel grid and he holds up a sign saying, do you go around with a bag over your head? I love those man. pages. I love yeah. them. And it, <laughs> the mirrored pages. Oh. Yes. And and it's it's perfect, isn't it? There's like one, yeah. two, three, five of martial, uh, martial law, then um, five, five of the spirit on the next page as well. So they're completely mirrored. Yeah. Which I, goes back to that. I remember reading that book. when it first came out, man, and thinking, fuck. And the next page after that is amazing as well, because it's one where... He's sort of the main character on the page and there's sort of four inset pages and he's looking down. It's just this incredibly striking image of martial law. But he uses colour quite a lot as well within patterns. There's a lot of the uh, stars and stripes being used repeatedly as backgrounds. And it's yeah. just that, yeah. that rhythm to the storytelling taking you through it all. It's just so readable. He talks quite it's a lot about um, layering stories with details within images. So he, yeah. um, there's a lot of um, graffiti and background yeah. stuff, which is part. He says mostly added by him, but some of it will have been Pat. And he says that it adds. You've got a story, but you add layers to the story by including the stuff in the background, which I think is fucking genius. Yes, really yeah. works in this. Yeah, and there's loads. There's, I mean, there's the bomber plane with the crucified Christ along the belly of the plane that's <laughs> yeah. dropping bombs on people. There's, it, you know, it just wears its heart on its sleeve all the way through, and it, it just looks like they're having so much fun. You know, you're talking about them laughing about everything they're doing. It's everything's just turned up to 11 all the way through it in the artwork. It's, you know, the sleepwalker design that's almost like a Freddy Krueger character with the long yeah. fingers. Yeah. It's, 
there's a panel in it where he, he's sort of paying a visit to a woman and you just see the the long thing is sort of reaching out to her face and the shadows of the fingers are playing across the face and it's just pure horror. It's like, it's perfect. It just looks so good. And there's so much humour in it as well, isn't there? Yeah, and that comes a lot from Pat's um, not n- lack of knowledge and fucking the fact he finds superheroes hilarious so there's that story there's that story where because kev got brought up on superhero comics and he sent i think he sent pat a copy of the legion of substitute heroes which is you know stuff like matarita lad and all this sort of stuff and um and they just laughed about it on the phone and that's where one of the stories came from you know this would pat just found it hilarious yeah so so here's a question um thinking about it i don't recall any kind of anti anti-hero books quite like this where the superheroes are all seen boys like as sort of the bad guys prior to this take on it yeah i don't either so it seems mm. to be like a thoroughly original just like nemesis was a thoroughly yeah. original story that subverted some of the tropes because you know that yes there were anti-heroes around that time you know with Dark Knight Returns and all that kind of stuff and um, and uh, Watchmen and things like that. But this is the first one where it's like they're the the villains of the piece are the heroes. Yeah, yeah, I agree. Not everything, just... about everything about it's original, isn't it? The concept's original. The artwork is enti- like incredibly original. I, I know you cited some of his influences, but it's really hard to... Yeah make a strong case for anyone being a massive influence it just feels like his own thing all the time yeah. the only like, person he, i could he, think of who was anywhere near this ballpark was drew yeah um yeah i think yeah, I, yeah the, the french guy yeah yeah and then but uh, even but, so it just seemed like kevin o'neill just arrived yeah fully formed you know what i mean I mean, his style hasn't changed. Whereas, yeah, certainly he he sort of he changes the style depending on the needs of the print. But he he just arrived on the scene, and this was him. Yeah, you know that other people go through sort of huge evolutions in their artwork, but he never did. It was just he, he just was fully consumed. How he wanted to draw. I'm sure I've seen an interview with him saying he didn't really know what he was doing, but he just <laughs> you know yeah. it's it just because he. It's so instinctual, probably. Um, I think he just wanted to have fun on the page, yeah. you know? And, and That comes across. And, and it, I, it does. The other thing I've got to mention in this martial law is, like, the foreshortening and the force perspective in some okay. of the pages as well. There's um, a page where you can see martial laws fighting the public spirit, and he sort of shot him in the back, and there's sort of an explosion going off um, behind him. And... The, the way the position and then of the figure is, you know, the, with the legs sort of disappearing into the background, so the feet become really small. And then it's coloured in like blues and oranges, which really work together very well as colours. And then the next one, it's back to full colour. And the public spirit's all sort of crouched over and his fist is massive. It's about <laughs> 10 times the size of his head and it, it shouldn't work, but it absolutely does. And you can just see sort of martial law in the background um sort of in silhouette but there's so much sort of characters at points leaping out of the page at you and splash pages as well um i just really loved loved all of the art in it and it's incredible when you think you know little old little old britain has produced you know 
from the same comic, we've got Dave Gibbons, who's got this sort of clean, beautiful to yeah. look at, you know, mm. lovely flowing storytelling. Um, we've got Brian Bolland with these sort of clean lines. We've got Carlos Esquerra, but we've also got like Mick McMahon and yeah. and 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 Kev yeah. O'Neill doing this stuff that's just fucking whacked out, man. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And Brian and, Talbot and, and uh, yeah. John Hecklington, like yeah. you said, who was I didn't realize until I reread some of the Nemesis stuff just how incredible his stuff was. You know, it's just out there, man. Isn't it? Yeah. yeah, but um, if I could, so if I could. This would be something, Ian, you as a sort of uh, an artist and art teacher and everything else. Uh, here's my hypothesis is that I see O'Neill as ranking with the old medieval masters. And I know Hieronymus Bosch would <coughs> probably be kind of the go-to comparison. Oh, so but man. some of yeah. those those sort of hallucina- hallucinatorily driven artists of the dark ages you know the medieval period who did the woodcuts of demons and things like that when i look at kevin o'neill's artwork that is what i see especially with nemesis and the religious overtones but more than anything more i I can't personally i i I was racking my uh mind uh, as you suggested ian to try and find what, what 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 influences do i see here from artists that i know and i can't find any but when i look at his work it just evokes this sort of the madness of the medieval ages when they were all eating eating ergo ridden bread and all i suppose you know, he was about, about hell i mean he was an old he was a choir boy wasn't he and he, he must yeah. have yes. you know having been like an altar boy myself you sort of sit in church don't you just staring up at you know the stations of the cross or christ right. with a crown of thorns or you know you got some stained glass window of someone being stabbed in the side or something you know there and that, so that iconography that. of yeah. that of being a catholic as well you know but <coughs> it, it, it struck me it's like you know when you see works like i don't know malus malarificum and things like that you know where the woodcuts kind of the common people yeah. sort of pamphlets where I think you're absolutely right. And stained glass windows as well as woodcuts. Because right. we talked about there being a lot of straight lines and sharp angles and stuff. And that those sort of mediums sort of forced artists down those routes as well of using straight lines. Yeah. The the forced perspective as well, you know, yeah. uh, of of it strikes me a little bit like, you know, that pre-naive style of, yeah, yeah. And, you yeah. know, how of of how perspective was rendered before they knew how to render perspective properly yeah and yeah. he takes elements of that and he uses that forcibly in his work you know like you said like on a tapestry to add, almost you know yeah right yeah but i mean you, you know if if i if i didn't know better I, you know you could say some of these things were lino cut or wood cuts just some of the ways that he manages to get that ink on the page yeah well that's yeah just that, really interesting man uh and i think You've answered some of what we talked about a bit on the um, the WhatsApp group, and that is the big question that occurs to me all the time. But I think it's the perfect time to ask you two about it because you're both artists. Is how much the artist is visible in their art, and we I, I was going to put it to you about Kev, but I think we've kind of explored that a little bit with the religious stuff and the influences, and like you say about these sort of medieval paintings and stuff. But if you can maybe apply yourselves to it. Are you? I can't. I come at it from you know someone who can't draw. But are you visible within your own art? Is your 
heart and soul on the page can we describe you through the way that you draw you know is your life experience there as part of what you're drawing um if you if you don't mind me saying so about you cliff if we'd start off with you is i Mm, you're a you're a you're a funny guy man and and i see i see a, a quirky character on the page with you is you know you're yeah. not Kurt Swan. Do you know, do you see what I'm saying? Is that I don't mean to, to be rude in any way. I actually mean no, no, be, no. And in fact, yeah. yeah, if you did compare me to Kurt Swan, I probably would. You, yeah, be I know what you mean, but happy with that that comparison. But I mean, but, you're more in the same way. I kind of almost em, empathically believe that I know what someone like Frank Quietly is about a little bit from the way he yeah. draws. I, I feel the same about your art in a similar so, way. So yeah, uh, I, I think you're correct. I mean, you know what is like our artistic skill except a summation of you know the influences uh, that we've allowed ourselves over the course of our lives right yeah everything um, yeah so you know all of the things that i enjoy uh, and you know coming to a personal style is a very personal journey uh getting to the point where you yeah. know you you go through sort of stages first of all there's a naive copying stage where you just you find artists that you like and then you kind of copy them and you learn some stuff then you sort of you cut loose from that a little bit and those influences sort of fight over each other so that's the period of discovery where you're trying to sort of come up with your own style but still you know everything is so fresh in your head about all of the artists that you like and everything else that they compete for attention and then finally you get to a point where you sort of you you you've, you're free of that sort of innate warring of different influences and your own style emerges um and and that's when you as an artist kind of develop your own voice i believe is that when you're Um, happy with it most when you think does that uh, is that an element of being not content but more content than perhaps you would have been previously you know i I guess you guys are never completely content with a page are you no artist should ever any artist who says they're completely happy with their style has completely ceased to evolve as an artist in my opinion yeah. Um, so you're never entirely happy with what you produce. You're always seeing the weaknesses in it. Um, for me, if I look back on it and I'm like, uh, you know, I get past that sort of self-doubt stage and and some people have maybe had some sort of something to say about it, I'd, you know, then you get over that kind of sort of thing. You're like, oh, yeah, that was pretty good. I kind of enjoyed drawing it. Yeah. Um, so for me, what I try and bring to the art um is definitely a degree of transgressiveness as you probably know i'm sort of very drawn to sort of breaking the mold on characters and stuff like that i don't think my style changes hugely unless i really intentionally try and change it but i can definitely feel those underpinnings of more of the ethos of the time when i was growing up reading comics that's sort of definitely the stuff that influenced pat and kevin and uh, probably alan moore you know that sort of radical time in the 80s where yeah we were trying to force sort of you know stick some stuff in the face of the man and 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 i definitely f- am more drawn to drawing stuff like that the more we talk about maybe the 80s, raises an eyebrow the yeah. more you and i talk about ian and everyone talks about that period amen especially the more i realize how special it was and what a great time to have lived through it 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 yeah. was it was the greatest period i you know this is like i, I don't want to sorry ian you're a young guy so <laughs> i'm going to speak from the perspective of just an old man for a second but um you, you know that period was the high watermark of comics yeah as as a genre and still is yeah uh, and will always be you know especially particularly that year 1986 when it all kind of 
changed. Yeah, yeah, I agree, um, man. So, you know, very much, I think, as a product of the 80s um, comic scene, it was always trying to push forward, trying to be a little transgressive. Experiment. Trying yeah. to be yeah. experimental. Yeah, exactly. And, um, and, and not just be like this comfortable mass-produced form anymore that was just four colors you know and bende dots it, it was about actually saying something yeah uh, and i would say that's definitely you know you can definitely see my sense of humor i think in my work yeah, i okay. mean one of yeah. the things that you sent that that really resonated with me uh was how pat mills and kevin o'neill uh you know kev's always adding stuff to the artwork yeah yeah, and I think that's something I'm always doing to you in your script. Yeah, yeah, as well, no, we, 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 almost, we shit in. <laughs> almost weekly. You say to me, "What about this?" I say, "Oh, yeah, I'm going for that, mate." Yeah, 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 you, yeah, very good. And 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 that's the stuff that keeps me entertained and motivated. And 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 drawing is, as I draw, kind of like, I can see sort of things, little things that I like to put in that just are sort of I don't know. Is <laughs> a there's the famous stupid. There's a famous example of they. I think this this is a martial law story. I'm not sure if you read this in, but there's a bit where they were saying that um, they had a big discussion about what they wanted to do with the character, and uh, Kev really wanted to grab the character's dog and kick it over the mountain, yeah. and, and and Pat felt bad because he hadn't he didn't think he could fit it in, but he really wanted to put it in, and that is a perfect example of two people who are just enjoying the collaboration so much they just fucking are laughing their tits off. Yeah, right. Um, getting to you in, is it possible to under? And I, I mean this in a, in a, in a way, kind of beyond the literal. But is it is it possible for me to know you just through your art? Are there elements? Can you see elements of your own personality, your own choices, your own interests in your art? Is there a sense of personality through what you're putting on the page? There? Yeah, I'm like I think I'm almost like the not the opposite to kevin o'neill i want everything to look beautiful and perfect and which it does my really friend yeah funky, but it, it i feel like sometimes it can be restrictive as well and i think it comes back from feeling that a lot of pressure i always put a lot of pressure on myself to try and make everything as well drawn as i possibly can whereas Sometimes comics doesn't it doesn't have to always be as well drawn as you possibly can to tell the best version of the story. Yeah, um, I get lost in detail and I get lost in making sure the anatomy is as accurate as I can possibly make it and the perspective is right. And sometimes I'll I'll force that perspective or I'll I'll play around with the anatomy a little bit, but I always feel that there is a there is a restriction there. So. One of the things that I try and do is, is is really try and work on my movement and try and really to break a lot of habits that I had prior to coming into comics. And I think in a lot of ways, comics has really saved my love of the subject. I was teaching it for a long time, but when you teach it, you only, you draw a lot, but you draw in a very short amount of time because you're dealing with people's attention spans all the time yeah. being maybe shorter than you, you'd like, you know, you'd maybe want to show something over an hour, but you've only got like five minutes really um, to, to give in, in a lesson. And I really wanted an endeavor where I could express myself through my art and comics just, that's where it all came from because okay. I've really enjoyed that process of telling a story across multiple panels. And I'd always been really 
interested in book illustration um, and golden age book illustrations and a pulpy kind of book covers and stuff like that. Yeah. And, and yeah, you put little flourishes in that are very personal. You know, I put little nods to my family and stuff into some okay. of my pages. Yes, um, we were talking about that recently, weren't we? Yeah, yeah. yeah and do, lightness you, of it. do you think there's a clash between perfection and energy sometimes? Do you think the more... There can be. Um, I think yeah. people accuse Alex Ross of that a lot. Yeah. Um, although I think his... I did get his full circle book and I thought that was that for you. I really thought that was... I, I, I really appreciated your episode on that. Thank you. I, yeah, I, I did really enjoy it. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I, I enjoyed it. But this is my point. I get, like, protective over artists like that. Because <laughs> yeah. I'm like, you should see that, that that's amazing drawing. And I think, actually... I'd sort of got full circle and and I set it to one side to go back into martial law and I just thought, no, this is far more visually interesting than 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 full even though I love full circle and I just that's what made me realise, you know, what yeah. a masterclass this is. I'm just looking at a page right now and it's martial law st- stood next to Lynn's grave and he's He's got a mask on with an inverted cross and a crown of barbed wire thorns across his head as well. So So, So interestingly, I don't think, um, Ian, that you could probably have an artist who is further away from you in style, in a way. You know what I mean? No, I don't. Um, That's that's not to say that you're not a fantastic... You are an incredibly talented fucking artist always pushing out amazing work yeah. and um in your own way in your own style but that's how it should be isn't it you know and it, uh, yeah, yeah but i think it, it it's you know if there's one thing that perhaps we could share as a similarity kevin ian and myself as artists not i'm definitely not on kevin or ian's level but is that no, um we do we put ourselves that's our art that is an expression of us. That is our style. And you may like it or you may not like it. That's fine. You know, we each have our own audiences. And yeah. There are people who will like Ian's style and hate my style and hate Kevin O'Neill. There are people who will love Kevin O'Neill, but hate Ian's stuff. So, you know, part of the beauty of today's comic scene, I think, is that diversification in that, you know, there are audience, we can find audiences for our stuff. You've There's got to go your own way, man. Likes it. There's nothing worse than... Right. You know, right. if I see another fucking Steven <clears throat> Universe comic, I think I'll throw up. I'll, exactly. I'll, you know, it's my, it's my equivalent of fucking symmetry. Yeah, that something Disney-ish yeah. or whatever. Yeah, there's a lot of <laughs> yeah. sort of um, sort of homogenous, homogeneous yeah. um, artwork out there. But I think, you know, the thing that... If I know... If I've found out anything <coughs> about Kevin O'Neill from this is that he was deeply passionate about everything that he put on the yeah. page. And the one thing that I will say I hope comes across in my style is that whenever I do a page, that is the best page I can give you. Yeah. You know, um, and that I will have put a huge amount of work into that. And the thing is, is that that's what I think you can see in the art. And I definitely can see that in Ian's artwork. I mean, you can see that he doesn't half-ass it. He doesn't fuck around. He, you, you, if you get a piece of artwork from Ian Ashcroft, you Mate, know yeah. that he yeah. put heart and soul into that. You know, even the stuff he just doodles around. 
Well, let's let's talk about so, uh, the. Just on that point, really quick. One, the thing that is in a lot of, uh, well, I, th I think every comic book artist's work is hours and hours and hours of work yeah. and you set everything aside and huge sacrifices no matter what level you're at and yeah. that's the bit that i think a lot of people don't see you know you turn in the page but that page may be taking someone a day a week who knows how yeah, yeah. that's it the, the, yeah. the blood sweat and tears that you put into a page yeah. is is is, yeah. is in direct proportion i think to how some people will see that you know i feel like i work two jobs i really do you know like yeah. i come home I spend time with my family and then quite often I'm burning the midnight oil to try and get through as much of this as you can. You'd love to dedicate more time to it. But, yeah. Um, yeah. So that, I think that's where it really, where your real personality comes in. Because for me, I'm giving it everything I've got, especially because I've got the opportunity to work with Pat. Yeah. There's no way I'm not going to put everything I have into that project. Yeah. Yeah, I agree, man. I mean, I'm jealous you of you tell. two guys. Yeah. yeah, definitely. I'm jealous of you two guys for, for two reasons, really. One, that you can draw, and two, that you, I can only imagine the joy it must be of like putting your head down and drawing something and then lifting your head up and it's four hours later. Yeah, It's the ultimate in well-being, I think. Yeah, that's a good point, man. It, it, yeah. it's, it, I, I wouldn't rather have any other hobby. You know, when I was younger, I wanted to be great at football or a million other things. I never appreciated that I was good at something. And now I just, yeah, I, I just yeah. feel genuinely so happy that I, you know, that you, you've That's got great, this thing man. that you really enjoy doing. I'm sure. Chris um, is... I, I would absolutely agree with that. And I would say Tony though, that, you know, if it wasn't not to get on this sort of this disgusting Kumbaya love train too much. <laughs> it's, it's don't be, so don't be nice to me. Know I know what you like. Don't be start being nice. No, to me. Uh, look, yeah, no. character. But yeah. I, I was going to say like, um, yeah, just to break character for a second is like, you know, Tony, the, the thing that I get is that you, I, I'm not a great storyteller, but then I get these fucking fucked up scripts from you <laughs> but, <laughs> that challenged me to do something better well, with my own artwork than i could possibly do myself well, I don't know about and that, but that's I, where that's yeah the you get you get artists coming to you tony no well there's a, i'm lucky enough to have worked with some great people and you two being one of them but i have to say having shown i showed um there's a character coming up called biff pilchard let's not beat around yes. the bush um <laughs> the uh uh, he's nothing to do with anyone else. He's a completely original character. Let's say that. Um, or he's all representations or likenesses. Uh, yeah, yeah. complete coincidence. Completely. <laughs> but he, um, I showed him a certain panel that involves a fisting scene. I'll be honest with you. <laughs> that to, wasn't uh, Biff. It wasn't <laughs> Biff. <laughs> it wasn't Biff. He was present, and um, I showed it to my my mate Dave, um, who's been my best friend. You know, we've been best friends since we were oh, ten. Yes, yeah, and you've yeah. met him. You've been out for dinner with him. Yeah, right? a great guy. Great yeah. guy. And. Um, He's quite a big cheese in TV and movies now. And he, and he said, he just looked at it, he went, what's he working with you for? In other words, this is fucking amazing. Yeah. <laughs> I'm working with you, T, because um, I get to draw those kind of things. In fact, I, I think I, I have to go on the record and say, uh, I think there, there was not actually a fisting scene involved in this. You added, I, you're right. You are I right. I didn't, yeah, I didn't write a fisting scene. I'd like that to be known. <laughs> Yeah, everyone will presume yes. that I wrote that one. It's, uh, I know. Yeah. That's why I put it in. I was like, yeah, everybody will think Tony did this. I'll show you, Ian, when um, yeah. oh, thank uh, you. we can put our cameras on. <laughs> yeah, I, never have this, I never have this situation with Pat 
<laughs> well, <laughs> even when we, even when we worked together in the um, that we we worked for a kids comic. So we didn't have anything yeah, like right. that, did we? Yeah, yeah. No, no, we didn't. <laughs> so you'll appreciate, Ian, having a, a young kid yourself, how I, and I have teenage kids, and my wife, how I am never showing this to anybody in my family. And I've <laughs> literally had it on my drawing board and left it open and come down and been like, oh, shit. And I had to fold it up and hide never, it. Never show it to um, Mrs. Q before I meet her, because I'm meeting her in a few months or in six months' time. That's right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. don't show it. That's exactly yeah. right. Or uh, Miss, Mrs. Ashcroft always already thinks some of it strange so that's fine she doesn't she she really she really enjoyed meeting your phone um let's let's bring this home and then we can have a little talk with you two about your your current um project so um it is an absolute terrible shame that we lost him so early he was only 69 when he passed away oh, God, Kev, awful really, really terrible <laughs> awful but who can say they've got three stone cold classics and that's what i'm calling martial law nemesis and league uh, League of Extraordinary Gentlemen, we haven't mentioned much of, but is mm. is is brilliant. Is you know f- the fucking War of the Worlds stuff, the Island of Doctor Moreau stuff is just incredible, full of detail. Typical Kev O'Neill, really. Mm. You know he, he sparks as much with Pat as he sparks with Alan. And, you know, and, and and those three dudes. If if the you know the, the the British comics industry was limited to three dudes, it'd be those three for me. You know, I think that what they've produced is just monumentally incredible. And then if you if you step past that, he's also got this sort of I'm gonna call them slightly more culty hits, but you've got Metal Zoic, which was mm-hmm. um which actually sort of made a number of steps forward in the creator owned kind of graphic novel field when it got released by DC. You got the Lantern World, which you mentioned, you got the Dodge and Logic stuff mm-hmm. he did, Cinema Purg- Purgatoria, Robusters, ABC Warriors, and you've also got the serial killer novels which he did with Pat. He sort of co wrote with him. Yeah, which are great. Which I was lucky enough to beat a read on those. They are lovely. They are great books. So a man who has so much, you know, has given us so much over the, you know, just decades of comic making, um, you know, and and there was never. I think the beautiful thing about him was there was never any pretense in the dude, you know. No, um, he wasn't one of those people who just eulogizes and you know diatribes on social media. He's a. He was just a real dude, wasn't he? You know. Um, He's great in that um, 2000 AD documentary. Yeah, is. Yeah. Oh, yeah. yeah. He's uh, also a guy who never compromised. He did not compromise. Yeah, he didn't, did he? No, you know he didn't. I mean? He was banned he, he by the whole about, of the American comic industry, and he still didn't fucking pull back on it. Yeah, Shit that he was supposed to change, and, I mean, we didn't get to... Um, where he was talking about the censors seeing fads everywhere and nemesis, but how how he you know he he just wouldn't compromise. So he made he made very few changes to his work. I think you know yeah. every so often, but yeah, man, he stood his ground. That's that's the great thing about Pat yeah. and Alan and these guys, you know. Yeah, it really is, isn't it? Yeah, it really it really is about those three dudes about how they stood their ground and they just took no shit and continued to take no mm-hmm. shit. You know, um, yeah, I've only ever met. Alan very briefly, um, but he was he was super lovely to me. I've got to say, oh, that's nice. yeah, very yeah. very kind to me. Yeah, in a moment, I think I've told the story before. Actually, I've just been thoroughly fucked off by Chris Claremont. It was just rude to me. Who hasn't been? Yeah, what a rude, rude <laughs> twat. Massive cock. As a fucking, Absolute. as a 12 or 13 year old. And I was, I was, it was so upset. I was ready to walk out on comics. And I turned the corner and I bumped into Alan Moore and um, uh, the uh, Karen Berger. And they just said hello to me, just mm. like, are you right? Mm-hmm. And I said hello. And I fucking, as soon as he said that, I thought, oh, my God, this is the guy who's writing Swamp Thing. 
you know. Yeah. Um, yeah. And I was back in again, yeah. But the and, and Pat has been exceedingly kind to all three of us over the years, you know. Oh, yeah. Pat's, Pat's class. Yeah, Good. For sure. Right, let's get on to guest projects. So, <clears throat> oh, it sounded very Mega City then, didn't I? That's what he said. <laughs> um, I aim to be after me with copyright infringement. The... Um, I was speaking to him today, actually. So he and I, um, or he, he's editing and he's sort of running stuff past me, you know, for a sort of second eye and stuff. So DUI 3 is in the works. I think we're we're almost at the point now where we've got all the stories we need. Um, we're all in it, right? Uh, yeah. Yes. Yeah. Well, um, one of us is on the cover. Let's one just of say us. that. One of us. Yeah. It's an okay cover. It's <laughs> I mean, fucking you know, masterpiece. I, yeah. Oh, I was, <laughs> exactly. I, 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 we were chatting about who to come. I said, "Oh, fucking get Ashcroft to do it," and and he didn't. He didn't say whether he <sighs> would or not. And then um, you did issue two. Come on, Cliff. And, I did uh, issue two, yeah. <laughs> but it was like being the opening act of the Beatles, as I've described it before. You know. And uh, he's apparently messaged you, and then two days later, this fucking Van Gogh arrived through the post. You know, it is just, beautiful. It's yeah, amazing, it's man. Amazing. It looks amazing. Thank yeah, you. Yeah. It took me. It took me three months to do my cover. And <laughs> Ashcroft just sits down and just. It's like you know. It's like if you've ever seen that bit of uh, Amadeus with Salieri and Mozart, and just fucking you know, he's like, oh, this is a nice little tune, but how about this? <laughs> <sighs> I just don't know how to respond to you, Cliff. <laughs> You've actually been nice to you. It makes a change. I know, yeah. I know. Um, Thank and, you so much. Bro. So speaking of that cover, the co- the charity for DUI three is Mind. Um, we sort of yes. crowd crowdsourced who who we should go with, and Ian's done a cover that is very applicable to that. But just to talk about Mind for a second, they're a great charity, and um, thanks to you two guys, we've um, we've raised quite a lot of money um for the charity with um artwork so uh in um did a martial law piece which he put up for sale online and earned some money i'll declare we haven't got the total amount yet but i'll I'll, I'll declare the total amount of it when we get to it i donated a fiver for people who ridiculously bought pictures of my face uh, on a (laughs) t-shirt You uh, sold a lot. We didn't do badly. <laughs> yeah, there's a lot of weirdos wandering around my face on their on their breasts. I'm definitely one of them. Like I said, I can't wait. <laughs> yeah. Oh, it's gonna be my nightshirt tea. This, this is what wear it. this is what Falpy does to me. He goes, oh, we might, I'm making t-shirts for Tribute Press, and I went, all right, what's on them? Your face. Brilliant. Okay. Um, and then <laughs> we've got. Um, finally, we we're still on. We're still taking bids for Cliff's Nemesis um, piece yes. of art. Um, which is the money of which will go to mind. Um, so how do they find it? How do they get in touch? How do they look at it? And how uh, do they bid? So I, uh, yeah, absolutely. It's a fantastic Nemesis piece. I had a lot of fun doing it. I've crammed in as much detail as I possibly could, mm. um, you know, A, in the spirit of Kevin O'Neill, B, because I'm really hoping this will be a wonderful addition piece to anybody who's an old 2000 AD yeah, or Nemesis definitely. fan. Um, and, uh, you know, definitely want it to be display worthy. Um, so I, uh, I'm going to be doing a, a push again. We're up to 95 pounds okay, on good. the still, bid. Still too cheap, as I keep telling you all the time. I, th- yeah, well, yeah, yeah thanks. <laughs> I think, uh, I think if we can get it up past the 100 mark, I will be elated by that and, uh, definitely raising that kind of money. I'll pay the postage. Um, oh, good man. Thank you, so don't worry about that. I just want that. I just want the money, most of the money to go to Mind, which is, as you said, Tia, just a fantastic charity to do really Real. good work for mental yeah. health. Um, I am, you can just find me at CG Cumber, like my first two initials and last name um, on Instagram, I'll probably, or Twitter. Um, and if you just, uh, you can either sort of bid underneath the post or um, I'm going to post about it again. 
just bid underneath the post. Um, yeah, anything ninety six yeah. pounds and up will be acceptable. And if you just and want to just donate a couple of quid to mind, let us know, and we'll give you a shout right. in the next episode as well. It's been a good. Uh, I yeah. also put an offer out there on the eleven o'clock comic Slack. I do need to say thank you to those guys. They allowed me to post it on there. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. On their forum, which was very, very kind. Well, um, I know you got you got an OA piece through there, which you sent me and Ian. Um, I can't remember that was it last week, and you said, "Oh, I'm doing yeah. this now. This piece of OA." Um, and I have purposely not oh, asked you right. yes. asked you how much you're charging the person for it because I know I will shout at you if you tell me. Yeah, and I'm purposely yeah. not going to tell you because I don't <laughs> want you to shout at me. <laughs> when we were, Ian, when we were um, heroes. The, 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 oh, here the, we go. I had the two art monkeys drawing, and some bloke comes yeah. over and he goes, and um, me and Falpy. and yeah, and uh, Cliff's drawing this thing, and some dude, lovely, the nicest dude in the world, comes over and he goes, "Oh, well, that's really nice. Uh, is it for sale?" And, and you went. Yeah, fifteen, and he goes, yeah. oh, 50 That's a bargain." And he pulls his wallet out to give you fifty dollars, and you went, "No, fifteen no, <laughs> And I went, "That's Fuck crazy." Me. <laughs> that's... Yeah, yeah. I, I did have a bad habit of sort of saying, "Well, what do you think it's worth?" Just giving it away. I do that. I just yeah. never can. I just. But yeah. I, I tried to communicate to Tony that this was actually a marketing strategy that uh, would just be like, get a, you know, you give them a taste and then, you know, then, then, <laughs> yeah, then, then you jack up Next the year when we're back at Heroes, he, they'll come he back was, <laughs> Yeah, he wasn't having any of it. He... <laughs> we went from being the tribute press table to being just me repping you two guys' drawing. That That's yeah. right. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. That um, was, uh, yeah, it was good times, was, man. Yeah, it's good stuff. And Ian, <laughs> your, your, your piece is lovely, man. I have to say you're fucking Thank martial you, yes. art beautiful full color yeah yeah um just amazing yeah 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 it's gone to a good home so it's just nice to raise a bit of money for mine but um the piece that cliff's done let's get it over 100 because it's absolutely amazing try our best yeah it's worth it just for the sword with all the skulls on the yeah 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 Yeah, i did a little bit of kevin o'neill sort of additional yeah the sword has death this end written on it (laughs) so yeah which i felt was a kind of o'neill flourish yeah definitely so your yeah. um, let's talk about what you're working in. So Ian, your um, your full on Pat's project. Can you talk about that at all? Or yeah, I'm full on it. I'm chipping away at it. I'm I'm wanting it to be comparable to other books that he's put out there. So it means I have to raise my game as high as I can get it. Um, goes back to what I was saying before. Just that trying to put out the best I can. And um, so far, you know, Pat's happy with what's what's been going on. It looks um, amazing, man. Yeah, it looks great. Thank you. It's a I've big seen it. It's all right. It's, okay. it's all right. That's more like it. Yeah, that's more like the cliff we know. <laughs> but yeah, just just chipping away at that, and then um, you got. We're getting a Kia. Another issue of Kia. When's that? What's the yeah, plans on that? Kia, yeah, So well, um, the, uh, Dave and I have got a sort of understanding that you know. I need to get this. Um, I want to get this hell breaker. It's a want underneath. I've got to get it done. Uh, and then, you know, we'll we'll be back on Keir Wordsmith. But Dave has actually just sent me very recently the first six pages of Keir Wordsmith. So it all depends on how much I can get done, really. Um, if I find myself in a bit of a, a, a little bit of a difficult moment with the Hellbreaker stuff. I might go and do a page of Kia to just move things around and then yeah, go back. And sort of yeah, yeah, sometimes yeah, yeah. I did that with the um, the first issue of Space Warp. I was sort of going between both projects because 
you know, at times you get stuck on a panel and you think, well, I'll go and do this other thing in the meantime. But I love both projects. I'm incredibly lucky to work with both Dave, who's now at Time Bomb Comics, and um, yeah, with Kia. Kia's been a real big project for me. I've enjoyed every every part of that, and yeah, I'm very proud of that work. Yeah, and thank yeah, you. It's so beautiful. Much every every work. issue is leveled up. Yeah, definitely. really, Ian. It's beautiful, it's beautiful stuff. stuff. That's it. It's just thank you. It's just trying to keep pushing yourself to get that little bit better and that's what opens up opportunities for you i mean uh but yeah just love it and i love the opportunity for working on dui that's yeah that, that was yeah. a really nice moment to be able to contribute to that because i probably don't have the time to do the the pages themselves so i just really i was delighted when i got asked to do the cover well um, it's not just you who's working on the issue is you? um your daughter's working no, on it as well isn't she no and yeah. that's a big that's a big proud dad moment for me. <laughs> He's just being accepted with two pages. So there's going to be an Eva Ashcroft piece that I think she'll be 13 when it comes out. But she wow. Brilliant. Yeah. Brilliant. Yeah. yeah. Brilliant. Yeah. I mean, I. Well, we've been friends for many years, but I've known your daughter. Um, you've sort of brought her to shows and stuff and shown yes. bits of artwork. And man, she's so good now. Like, really? Yes, yeah, she's. She's really, she really is, and I keep on trying to get her into more comics. Um, I've, but I've yet to find the artist or the the, the style that's really going to grab her. Um, yeah. She she likes um, she likes Chris. Is it Chris Riddell who does the Neil oh, Gaiman yeah, books? Sometimes, yeah. 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 She yeah, likes yeah. his work, so I'm sure there's something out there. I and mean, you know, you've given her a few books, uh, Tony, as well. Yeah, we were at Bridlington. We, yeah, she had a couple. Yeah, yeah and yeah. I can remember when she was younger, we picked up Hilda, and she did uh, enjoy that. Yeah, yeah. And now my youngest one enjoys that as well. And she drew me a comic strip the other day. She's only seven, and she said, um, Dad, can you show this to your boss to see if you can get it in that comic, oh. meaning you, your man. <laughs> <laughs> So I'll have to send you that over the WhatsApp. Yeah, yeah, so, definitely. Yeah, oh, yeah I've got the whole family and like twisted all their arms. Yeah. Them in yeah. They've all been good. Even Catherine. I didn't realise it was going to be like the Ashcroft illustration empire. Yeah, that's yeah. what I'm planning. Brutal, what I'm planning. <laughs> brutal corporate work environment that just involves sort of child labour and. Yeah. No. <laughs> that's like the, about the fifth time you've accused me of <laughs> Why? Well, I mean, you know, if the well, glove fits, truth, man. truth sticks. The um, <laughs> the speaking of DUI as well, man. I know, I know you were a slight Cliff. You were a slightly late addition to it, but I was. Your, yeah, I'm your sorry, story yeah. is the... fucking amazing, mate. I think. Well, thank you. We're lucky thank to have you. it in there. It's it's I, probably yeah. one of the most emotional things I think I've ever read. Um, oh, uh, it's yeah. There's so much talk about knowing the creator from the creation. There's yes, so yeah, much that was a very, yeah. very personal piece. Um, my mum has dementia, um, you know, and uh, she's now in a home for it. So and it was just very, very quick. Um, yeah. And when you mentioned, I believe, on Never Run Anything, you and was it you and Never Run Anything? Um, yeah, I think you and Eamon were chatting. Yeah. And uh, you mentioned that you had some, um, not <laughs> anything that wasn't ro a story about robots. <laughs> yeah, that's right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And uh, that I, I just, I, I thought I was too late for it. Um, and I, of course, you know, I, I'm not a great writer, so I wasn't paired up with anybody to do anything for it. But yeah, when you said you were hoping for something that was a little bit more personal and shorter less, as well, like a nice one shorter. page. Yeah, yeah. Um, uh, I, I pitched Eamon and he very kindly um, said, "Yeah, go ahead." So um, I put together kind of a, a one pager that uh, 
very quickly for me um that that yeah i'm really super super chuffed that you you like yeah, it because it, it it really yeah, is very personal, very personal 35 panels and um each one of them is just sort of a just sort of talks about you know my mother's journey into dementia so yeah it's it's that was very personal yeah, no, yeah no, it's it's like it. 35 panels is that on one page yes yeah, like yeah, four on, pages there page. but yeah it reminds wow. me of like an eerie story or a creepy story but with, mm. a, with an autobio edge to it almost you know yeah it's yeah. it's it's sort of disjointed but also that's kind of intentional yeah um you know um the idea was you could read sort of the panels independently of each other so yeah, yeah, there's very black... little dialogue so. shows the power of black and white comics as well man it really does yeah yeah I, I just put a little bit of color on it just to sort of distinguish yeah I get different chunks of kind of stuff you know and give the commonality to some of them but yeah no i'm, I'm really glad Eamon said he loved it and um accepted it for dui so we're, we're all going to be in there all three Can't of us to you right you're yeah, you're, yeah, you're in there too yeah, yeah. yeah i've done something with helena helena edwardson mm. um we got it okay a couple of weeks ago she's about to start on it she's done some of the sort of design work stuff yeah uh, any more yeah. naked ladies uh no no uh, uh, <laughs> i'll talk to you about that off mic the uh <laughs> um yeah no i'm very pleased with that good and so right so we've gone long on you would but um where can we find you online ian uh, uh, uh <laughs> um instagram ian ashcroft and um patron ian ashcroft as well that was slick wasn't it that was good mm. as, as, uh, i would like style. to note that uh i am a patreon of ian ashcroft and it's very worth the pound or something i think i, I yeah. paid to own his own his ass <laughs> <laughs> and what about you clifford uh do you can find me at cg cumber uh at most places uh twitter instagram and uh occasionally on tiktok but <laughs> <laughs> you and tiktok makes me laugh I know, right? Uh, just don't look me up on OnlyFans. That's only for the special clients. Good. You can find me at Never Anything. Thanks for listening. Um, if you do listen to this on day release, you'll have about 24 hours to go and back Madeline, which is the story about comics memories, um, which Simon oh, yeah. Russell, yeah. our buddy who's been on the show a number of times, has uh, put together. Um, really lovely little book of short stories. Um, well worth it. Um, yeah. So thanks, guys. And... Uh, we might have a chat about doing another one on that. And now we've done our trilogy now, haven't we? So we're quite pleased. But uh, yeah, good stuff. Yeah, it's been great. Yeah, it's Thank a, you. been a pleasure. Yeah. See you soon. Bye. Yeah. Bye. Bye.